welcome back to another episode of Making Sense of Money. I'm Nikki Jankola Shanks. Last episode, we had a special guest on from University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, Donovan Sanchez, who is a financial planning instructor. He talked to us about creating a vision for your life and how it ties into financial planning. If you missed it, be sure to check it out. And I'm Jake Hamilton. Andrea Pellegrini can't be here for us today, uh, but she will be back soon. Uh, and on our last episode, we mentioned we would talk about home buying, uh, but since Andrea is out, we're going to wait for her to dive into that topic. So today we're going to continue our series of economic indicators, and we're going to talk about gross national happiness. You might remember that in our episode about GDP or gross domestic product, we mentioned gross national happiness or GNH briefly, but today we're really going to explore what goes into this indicator. Um, GDP is a measure of everything produced in an economy. So, but if you missed that episode, go check out episode number 32 to catch up. Gross national happiness, as I said, GNH, on the other hand, does not focus just on economic production or output, but also quality of life. GNH is meant to measure the well being of a country's citizens, and the well being being defined as something more than just economics. Yeah, exactly. So first let's dive, let's do a little backstory and do some history on gross national happiness. We mentioned this on our last episode, but gross national happiness, uh, the idea of it originated in the kingdom of Bhutan in 1972 by their king. Uh, I will save the listeners from me trying to pronounce uh, his name, but uh, the king of Bhutan is referred to as the dragon king. At that time, he declared it was more important than gross domestic product. Even today, Bhutan's laws must keep gross national happiness in mind when they're making uh, state policy. They were the first country in the world actually to make happiness a priority as they were crafting their own state policies. So that all happened back in the 1970s. In 2011, the United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution urging other United Nations members to follow Bhutan's example and to measure happiness and well-being. Uh, and in 2012, the first World Happiness Report was issued by the UN General Assembly. Uh, and March 20th was declared International Day of Happiness by the United Nations. Uh, it's been issued, the report has been issued in almost every year since 2012. So what is gross national happiness, right? We keep mentioning it, but what does that mean? And how do you measure that? So to begin with, um, there are four pillars of gross national happiness. And those are good governance, sustainable development, preservation and promotion of culture, and environmental conservation. So then those four pillars are then broken down further into nine domains. Those nine domains are psychological well-being, health, education, time use, cultural diversity and resilience, good governance, community vitality, ecological diversity and resilience, and living standards. Within those domains, then there are 33 indicators that are used to quantify happiness into a single store, into a single score, excuse me. So, you know, all these, there's lots of data where does that come from? There are different sources, such as the Gallup World Poll. That um, seems to be the, pretty much the main um, source of data for this report. Um, 
They also use something that's called the Elkery Foster Method, which is a multi-dimensional methodology, which we're not going to get into all those specifics, but that information is out there if you're a, a data nerd and you want to know more. Um, so as I mentioned, there, all these indicators are broken down and given a score, and the score is then between one and 10 uh, of happiness, one being obviously sad, 10 being very happy. <laughs> Yeah, it's a sliding scale. It's like when you go to the doctor and they ask you, like, what's your pain? Like, you know, what's your pain on a scale of one to 10? And yeah, it makes sense that they do these like polls to get their data from because, you know, how do you tell if somebody's happy? You got to talk to that person. Um, you can't just look at somebody and determine whether or not they're happy. So you got to go out and talk to a lot of people. But let's dig into why do we measure happiness? And we do it for a variety of reasons. Um, happiness can have an impact on public policy. For example, you know, if, if there's an area in a country where they're lacking, um, that people want more or something, that's it might be causing them to not be happy. Um, you know, legislators and, and politicians are going to want to look into that. Um, it also helps track the overall progress of nations and humankind, just as societies, like how are we doing? Are people happy with their lives? Are they fulfilled? That's another reason to look into it. Um, economic growth and physical health are also factored into happiness both of which are dominated by policy. Like for example, the cost of healthcare um, is both an economic issue and a physical health issue. Um, but the, the gross national happiness index also recognizes that wealth does not equal happiness. So just because you are a wealthy country does not mean that your country is happier, the people within it are happy. Uh, and it's a place where people want to actually live. Um, so Nikki's gonna go into some examples and talk through examples from the World Happiness Report to give you all a better idea, um, like in real world, what this looks like. Yes. And as Jake was saying, happiness is people don't think about, about it impacting policy, but it really can because government's job is supposed to be to make people's lives better and easier. And if, if the government's doing opposite of that, their people aren't going to be happy. So as we mentioned, the World Happiness Report has been published almost every year since 2012. I believe there was one year that was missing on the, the website, which we'll give you guys, don't worry. So we're going to go through some of these highlights from their latest 2021 report. And we're also going to talk a little bit more in depth about their report, which really looked at happiness during the time of COVID. So the 2021 report is data. It came out in 2021, but the data is from 2020. Um, so just to keep that in mind. And I apologize. I have a little cold. If you hear me sniffling, I apologize. <laughs> so some highlights of this report. Finland has earned the number one spot four years in a row. So for four years, they have been declared the happiest country. Nine of the top 10 happiest countries were in Europe. So Jeffrey Sachs, who is a one of the report's co-authors and an economic and an economist at Columbia University, noted that year after year, life satisfaction is happiest in the social democracies of Northern Europe. I went through a lot of these different reports and it is uh, very interesting to see that a lot of the same countries are, are in that top um, bracket of the top 10. And why is that? Um, some of the main highlights of the happiest countries were that they trusted each other, 
They trusted their government. They believed that their government was credible and honest, and they felt secure in their lives. Other takeaways, average income definitely affects the a person's sense of well-being, but it doesn't explain everything. So other factors like personal factors and that they're asked about, social factors that they're asked about are also very important. Um, and as Jake mentioned earlier, physical and mental health are also highlighted. So what about us? What, how has the United States fared? So it's definitely, our ranking has definitely fluctuated over the years. The first report in 2012 was our highest rank at number 11. We then dropped to number 17 the year after. Then we kind of climbed up a few spots, but then down to 18 in the 2020 report and number 19 in 2021. However, and Jake's gonna talk about this a little bit about how the report was a little bit different because of COVID. In the 2021 report, there was a shortened list ranking with fewer countries being sur surveyed. So on that shorter list, USA was 14, but when you put all the countries back in, we were 19. So looking back at some of the past reports, uh, some key points about America that were analyzed. Um, the U.S. produces greater income inequality than any other rich countries. And as a result, there's less social mobility. Um, you know, it's not so much that it's very hard to move up from lower class to middle class to, you know, be considered rich. And even before COVID, so yes, COVID obviously is a factor in everything. Um, and we're... It, the public health crisis of our lifetimes. But even before that, the United States had public, several public health crises to note. One was the opioid addiction, ob obesity, and major depressive disorder. So in 2019, an entire chapter of the World Happiness Report was titled Addiction and Unhappiness in America. It's also noted that the level of trust and confidence in our government in our government has been on the decline for several years. Um, also in that 2019 report, there was another whole chapter entitled The Sad State of Happiness in the United States and the Role of Digital Media. So in it, the author kind of highlights the shift in how adolescents have spent their free time. They used to interact face-to-face -face more, be outside more, and and now a lot of their interaction is with electronic devices, social media, gaming, et cetera. And that besides the fact that it affects their socialization, it also has an effect on sleep. So the social media aspects can also spark a lot of social comparisons and cyberbullying, and all of that may have an indirect effect on happiness. So that 2019 report did definitely kind of highlight two of America's problems. So definitely an interesting one to read. Um, the World Happiness Report also started ranking cities as well. So in 2020, I'm gonna go through the top 10 US cities. And then, so this, the top 10 US cities, but where they fell in relation to the world. So our number one, uh, top U.S. city was Washington, um, and that fell number 18. Then Dallas, which was number 19. 
Houston, number 21, Boston, 23, Chicago was our fifth city, and that was uh, ranked 25 when compared with the rest of the world, Atlanta, 26, Miami, 27, Philadelphia, 28, New York, 30, and Los Angeles, 31. And if anybody's curious, well, what was the happiest city in the world? It was Helsinki, which makes sense because it's also in Finland that was also the happiest country. So um, when we decided to do this podcast, I didn't know that much about gross national happiness. And I'm not going to lie, there is a ton of fascinating and interesting data and reports to read through. Um, Jake and I were actually talking about it before we started recording that like, I even kind of sort of went down a little rabbit hole, like looking at stuff. It's been very interesting to read about and just to think about because we don't think of happiness as some, when people say, how's your life? Like, how's life in America? Like, nobody's going to automatically think of, oh, I'm happy here or not. You know, it, it's it's always usually revolved around that money aspect. And um I just find it very interesting to to look at other things that are not normally talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, shout out to Chicago, 25. It's not bad if of you're course, a fan of college of basketball course. like I am. Top 25 is pretty good. Um, but like you said, it makes sense that the U.S. would kind of fluctuate on these rankings, especially over the last decade, uh, because things have been turbulent here, like both politically and socially um things in the united states haven't been like necessarily super stable uh, since 2012 you know over that time span we've had three different presidents and like congress has switched back and forth and public policy has you know gone back and forth over different discussions and different issues so yeah there's a lot of things that i think people are concerned about and things that people are worried about here in the united states and I, I think that kind of speaks to where, where we fall on a world happiness. Obviously, we're a very wealthy country, but I think there's a lot of other issues that go into why we might not necessarily be the happiest country as well, just because we are uh, a wealthy country. But this past year obviously looked different, uh, and the World Happiness Report was cut, conducted a little differently as well, as Nikki has mentioned. Um, so they could not conduct any face-to-face -face interviews like they normally like to, and some countries couldn't be surveyed at all which is unfortunate. However, researchers did take this into effect and stated that it should not affect the rankings um, for the countries that they did survey overall, and particularly for the top countries where they were able to reach um, most of those countries that they've been surveying for years now. So this uh, 2020 report, which again, remember, as Nikki said, like is actually for the year 2020, like the report was released in 2021, but it's for, it's from the year 2020. This report focused on the impacts of the pandemic and surprisingly had some good news. Happiness did actually not plummet uh, across the world. So compared when compared with uh, 2017 and 2019, 2020 did not cause any significant changes in the rankings. Um, and I think this kind of shows how resilient um, we are as humans. You know, we can we obviously took a big hit with COVID. It it's been something really difficult for people all across the world, but um, we are resilient and, you know, we've, we've bounced back or in the process of trying to bounce back. Um, yeah, I have to, I have to say that when I read that, I was shocked because it doesn't feel that way. And, the, and like hearing the news and 
the way we talk to people doesn't feel that way. But as a whole, I agree with you. I think it shows how resilient and how much we have been through, you know, that humans are still happy and we're Mm. still able to figure things out and kind of roll with the punches. Yeah, absolutely, Nikki. And, you know, it's not to say that, like, obviously, there's a lot of like notable data out there that showed that people have really struggled mentally, like throughout this pandemic, um, as we've shifted from like a world where you are surrounded by your peers and can be social to a world and where you're, you know, you know, for a while there, we only saw people through screens for the most part. Um, so obviously there's some big mental health aspects, um, for all that to be considered, but it is interesting when you look at the world at large, that, you know, these happiness rankings haven't taken like a big hit and haven't like changed significantly. But um, the report also looked at factors um, that were considered in successful COVID-19 strategies. Those were kind of similar to the ones we talked about before, uh, confidence in public institutions, social trust associated with far, was associated with far fewer COVID deaths. Um, And if the country had learned lessons from SARS and other pandemics, that was also associated with uh, better COVID results. And lastly, um, another interesting tidbit here, uh, uh, whether or not the head of the government was a woman was a significant factor in COVID outcomes for a country. Which so, I mean, uh, personally, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I, I particularly enjoyed that statistic. I'm, I'm sure you did, Nikki. I'll, I'll let the listeners derive their own conclusions from that one. Um, but in the early stages of the pandemic, mental health problems rose by 47%, as I was kind of talking about earlier. However, uh, there was considerable improvement in average mental health after the initial decline. So things went down fast and then, you know, things got better also pretty quickly as well. There was a significant bounce back there. It was kind of like our, kind of like our economic, um, you know, timeline, you know, everything tanked you know, early in 2020 when COVID hit, and then we bounced back, you know, pretty quickly. Digital connection was vital during this time. As I noted, you know, we were spending a lot of time talking to people through screens, Zoom became a huge thing. Um, So that was a significant factor. Unemployment was also associated with the 12% decline in life satisfaction. Um, So that was a significant factor. A lot of people were not able to work throughout the pandemic. And another interesting thing here in this, uh, in this most recent report, the focus on COVID was that purpose, achievement, and learning at work have become less important important for people, while supportive management and flexibility have become more important. Obviously, this kind of makes sense, you know, with um, with you know benefits and paid time off. You know, you want to make sure your manager or you work in an environment where you know they're supportive of you taking time off. If you have like sick relatives or you, if you sick yourself, you know, you might've been exposed to COVID and you might take some time off. So obviously that flexibility is important to people. Yeah. And I think it, it's very interesting because there's a lot about, you know, the, the great resignation and which we could also have a podcast on about what all that means. And, but the flexibility aspect, um, definitely, I think became very important after 2020 because we realized, hey, so I can do my job from home and I do it well. So can I have more time with my family? Um, I know personally for me, I don't have to take the train into the city every day. And, you know, I, I became a mom in the middle of the pandemic. So for me, I, I'm getting to spend on average like two and a half to three hours more a day with her 
just by being able to work from home. So I, I think it's very interesting as, as um, the pandemic had, was awful in many, many, many ways. And we lost a lot of lives, but it's very interesting to see what good has also kind of come out or changes, I shouldn't say good, changes have come out of it as well. Um, yeah, 100%, Nikki. I think, yeah, it's just, like you said, uh, as, as, as kind of like the workplace has transitioned, people are looking for different things. You know, they don't want the same things that they wanted in a job before COVID. And obviously, you know, that flexibility and that time off and, you know, maybe the flexibility of like having a work from home, like in office balance or hybrid schedule has become really important to people. And that's why when it comes to measuring a country's success, the gross national happiness is one tool you can use, right? It gives us a glimpse into more than just these economic indicators like gross domestic product does. Um, there are some people who believe that the gross national happiness is more important than gross domestic product. Some people are gonna think the exact opposite. Um, that's kind of up to you to research and decide um, but either way, both the GNH and GDP can help give you a picture of the country's successes, but also their weak spots. So like I have been saying, there's just so much data and interesting information in every World Happiness Report, and there's just way too much for us to cover everything here. So if you want to know more or you're interested, you could read or skim um, all the World Happiness Reports online for free at worldhappiness.report. We will also put the link in the show notes. Yeah, it's all available for free. Like Nikki said, it's uh, run by the United Nations and they post that all online. There's lots of interesting stuff in there. So we would encourage the listeners to just go check out that, um, you know, that interesting kind of indicator that compromise, you know, it includes everything. It's a, it's kind of a, a holistic picture um, at not just economic, but also like the mental, um, physical and you know other happiness factors as well so uh we just want to say thank you so much for joining us today make sure to join us next time when we continue with our economic indicator series and talk about employment rates which is certainly a hot topic right now um, as we were talking about employment with the pandemic but as always make sure you subscribe and share making sense of money on spotify apple podcasts or google play and thanks for listening